Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. The theme of Peter is the suffering of Christ and how Christians ought to identify with that. And we talked a lot about that last week. I don't know if you'll recall that, but we're talking about participating, being partakers of his suffering. That was a theme. I think that's really the theme, the kind of central thought of that. And if we think about the fact that we are participating in all the blessings and all the things that flow from, from his suffering, meaning that because he died, there's, we are different people. We act different. We think different. We walk different. We talk different. If we think about ourselves as participants or partakers of his suffering, then it changes all aspects of life. And, and tonight we're just going to focus in on one aspect that he talks about here in the first four verses of chapter 5, and that is this aspect of us as leaders. Now, I do want to emphasize for you what the Scripture emphasizes. I do want to make sure I'm plain with you. I don't want to act like this is not here. The Scripture is talking about elders. You'll see this in verse 1, elders that are among you. He's not necessarily talking about older folks, although that can be implied by that, but that's not the intent. The intent is he is focusing in on pastors of the local churches. That's what he has in mind here. Now, as we're talking about that, though, while he's specifically talking about pastors of local churches, and therefore I need to listen because I am a pastor, I do believe that there's a general application here that we can take for anyone in any kind of leadership in your home, in your community, on your job, or any other aspect of your life in which you are taking on a leadership role. Uh, of course, even in this church, we have deacons, we have teachers we have people who take over different functions within the church like even saw brother mark taking over the music in his leadership role there so all these leadership roles we have that's what i want to try to think about here is we're participants or partakers of his suffering and that changes everything but it also changes very specifically how we lead we are and i'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler we're to lead humbly that's how we lead and i want to show you that from this text I do want to begin before we, before we read and begin talking. I want to pray and ask the Lord to help as we understand his word. Lord, please help me to preach. Help these that are hearing to listen, to understand what is being said, and most importantly, understand what you are saying to them, that the Holy Spirit, as he convicts, as he points out areas of correction, as he points out opportunities to us, please let us be sensitive to that, and please help these people to respond, not to me, but to your spirit as he leads. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will look with me, I'm just going to go ahead and read the text because I think it's only four verses. It'll take just a second to do that, and then we'll go back. Paul is, or excuse me, Peter is writing. I may have said Paul at one point. I meant to say Peter. Peter is writing here, and he says in verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort. He is saying here that I'm talking to those elders, and that word uh, the, the word that's the Greek word there is the same word that is used throughout the New Testament, one of several, in fact, that is used throughout the New Testament for pastors. So that's who he's talking to. He says, I'm exhorting you who am also an elder. I'm also an elder, he says, I, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. 
He's setting up his credentials here in verse 1. Verse 2, he tells them what they need to do. He says, I need you to, he says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Paul, uh, Peter here is speaking from experience. He is speaking from what he knows. He is speaking from what he, he's not, he's not, yes, we understand he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he is telling them that I'm telling you you ought to do this because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That, that's what he's saying there in verse one. He is an elder. He's a fellow elder. He is a leader. His leadership, he wasn't a pastor of a church necessarily. He was in a role that we don't necessarily have today called an apostle. So he had a very unique, special role in the history of the church. But nonetheless, uh, Peter did have this role in, in helping, uh, in helping the, these, uh, these men and leading them in this way. So he says, I'm a fellow elder. He also says, I am a, look what he says there, I am uh, an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I'm a fellow witness. I am, and you know, you know what he's saying here is not only that he saw it, we know that Peter obviously saw our Lord's suffering, obviously was there after he resurrected. That's part of what he's talking about. But he's also saying, I'm a witness to it. It is something that I am, I'm impacted by. It has affected me. It is something that applies to me. His, rather, Christ's suffering has applied to Peter's past. That is what we are as witnesses. We are called to be witnesses. What are we? Is it just the fact that we're telling people about Jesus? Of course, that's part of it. But don't go telling people about Jesus if you've never experienced him yourself. That's what, that's what Peter is talking about. There's, a, there's an experience. Can I just hammer on this real quick, just a minute? I think we too much focus on the witnessing as the telling. But if I were to call up, if I were an attorney, and I call a witness to the stand... And that witness is ready and eager to tell his story. But we really go do some digging on it, and he really wasn't there. He really didn't see what he said he saw. He, does nothing to, he has nothing to add to the story. Why would I ever call that man? Yes, he's willing to talk. And I'm afraid too many quote-unquote so-called Christians are witnesses like that. They are willing and ready to talk. All they want to say, all the stuff, but they've never actually experienced what they're talking about. Peter is one who not only was there, he was an eyewitness, but he also had an internal, a spiritual application of Jesus Christ. His Christ's sufferings had been applied to Peter, and he's saying, I am one of these witnesses. I'm a witness like you are. He's talking to these elders. But he goes on to say, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He is a participant of what Christ's suffering provides. Because Christ suffered, we have a future home in heaven. Because Christ suffered, we have an incorruptible crown, an incorruptible uh, uh, inheritance that will never fade away because Christ suffered. He says, I have those things. And I want to say for you first, before I go any further on this, on this passage, in this message, that if you are a leader, if you are one, whether you're a pastor or you are a deacon or you're a father or you're a manager at your work, or you are an owner of your business, or whatever leadership role, and you're a leader in our community, whatever that looks like for your leadership, if you are a leader, you need to, you, this, this message is not going to help you just because you're a leader. It's only going to help you if you're one of those kind of leaders who is a witness, he has applied, his, his suffering has been applied to you, you are a participant, 
His blessings are your blessings. His blessings, meaning Christ's blessings, are your blessings. So he is saying here, this is, a, this is what he's exhorting you. If you, like Peter, you have been a witness to Christ and you are a participant in Christ, if you're one of those people, he's exhorting you to do something. Now, he's say, I will say further, if you're not one of those people, if you can say, well, I know about Jesus, but what are you talking about witnessing to him? What are you talking about being a participant in his suffering? And what are you, what are you talking about there? And if you don't understand how to be saved, if you don't understand having a relationship with Christ, if you don't understand that your standing before God is only because of what Christ did on the cross, the rest of this is going to be hogwash to you. The rest of this is not going to make any sense to you. The rest of this is actually a pointless exercise. And can I go one further and say that most of what we call church is a pointless exercise for people who merely name the name Jesus but don't have possession of Jesus Christ. And I fear that there are many, in, potentially even in our church, I don't know hearts so I can't say names because I don't know, but I fear that there may be many even in our church who go through the motions of, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I profess faith in Christ, but there's never been a heart change. You've never had a standing that actually stands at the foot of the cross. Your, your standing before a righteous God is in your own righteousness, not in the righteousness of Christ, and therefore you can't be a witness to Christ, and you can't be a participant in his sufferings. You can't. The only way to do that is to have full faith that what Jesus did on the cross is the only thing that you have, the only hope that you have for salvation. Now, at that base, if we, if we can at least meet on that base, baseline, which is why Peter starts there, if we can meet there, then the rest of this can, can apply to you. The rest of this is helpful to you. But if you can't meet there, we need to have another conversation. And I'd love to introduce you to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to do that, and I want you to know those of you that are listening, you always have this offer. You, or if you're listening on Facebook, you put the word, um, you put the word uh, help in there. We'll follow up with you. I know Brother Charles is watching that, and he will reach out to you and help you. I don't want you to sit there and say, well, you just told me the rest of this message ain't for me. Well, why don't you go ahead and get saved right now, and you do that, then the rest of this message will be a good, good application for you. That would be wonderful. But, Lord, but, but I understand if, you, if you're not saved, you need to, you need to get there. So let's, let's go on now to say we're, we're assuming that we're, the people we're talking to are saved. That's who Peter's talking to. And he says, now I'm going to give you some, he says there, I exhort you. See there at the beginning of verse 1, I exhort. And he talks about himself. And he says, here's what I'm exhorting you to do. Verse 2, he says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. What that idea of feeding the flock of God, it, it is the essence of pastoral care. I, I do worry a little bit that, and I've worried about this since the minute I said I would be your pastor, um, that people don't exactly know what the Bible says that a pastor's supposed to do. I always worry about that. I think somebody even asked me one time, so what do you think is the hardest part of being a pastor since you've been the pastor at McConnell Road? And I, I say it's expectations. I know what the Bible says I'm supposed to do, but I don't know what all these other people think I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and I'm trying to do what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. Maybe not 100%, I don't, maybe not a 100% uh, success rate, but that's certainly my, my goal. But the Bible tells us here that one of the, 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 one of the chief jobs of a pastor is to, to feed the flock. To feed the flock. That is to give them the milk 
and the meat of Scripture. And by that I mean the milk, it's the, that, the essential daily nutrition that we need, as well as the meat, the more complex, the more, the more difficult, but nonetheless necessary and, and helpful and maturing aspects of the Scripture. We need those things. But we're to feed the flock. And he, he goes there and says, to feed the flock of God which is among you. Now, now, Peter explains what he means by feed in other parts of his, his, uh, his letter here. If you go to chapter 1 and verse 15, he's saying you're trying to help them to be holy, direct them to be holy as God is holy. So that is what we're feeding them for. So like when I have a, I have a little child at my home and I'm feeding him, what am I feeding him for? I'm not feeding him to turn him into a werewolf. I'm feeding him to hopefully grow him up into a full-grown, mature man. I'm, I'm trying to get there with my two boys. They're, they're almost there. They're getting there. They're trying. I'm, I'm picking on me. Eli's sitting here looking at me. Uh, but, uh, but, I, I, but that's what you, want to, it's what you want to accomplish. You feed them for that purpose. You're not trying to, uh, you're not trying to turn them boys, like I said, into werewolves or trying to, you're not trying to, trying to accomplish some weird thing. Same thing with Christians. What are we doing? Why are we feeding them? We're trying to make them mature into mature Christians. And what does that look like? Chapter 1, verse 15, being holy as God is holy. That's one of the things we're trying to do. We're trying to give them the seed, the one seed that will actually enable them to grow. If you go to chapter 1 and verse 23, we know that the only incorruptible seed, it's not my opinion, it's not what's on my heart, it's not what's in the newspaper, it's not what the politicians are saying, it's not what Fox News or CNN or any of them other people are saying. What is the incorruptible seed? If you go to chapter 1 and verse 23, you will see it is the Word of God. So in other words, what the, what the pastor specifically is supposed to do is to feed the flock, to give the people the Word of God, to encourage them, to show them what the Bible says, not to be their only source of Scripture. Don't misunderstand it. We're not Catholics around here saying you've got to go through me for your interpretation of Scripture. That's not the case. But what the pastor ought to be able to do is to encourage the people to grow spiritually, to feed them, to show them, here's what the Scripture says, so now you can go on your own and learn it for yourself, just like with a child. Again, at some point, you hope those kids don't have to be fed like the little babies do. You're going to give them the, you're going to give them, you may, right now I've got a refrigerator stocked. Eventually, one of the days, they're going to stock their own refrigerator. That's how that goes, eventually, one of these days, Lord hope. So that'll happen one of these days. <laughs> you and me both, Brother Mark, we're still praying for it, one of these days. But, that, but that's what we're trying to do. We're feeding, we're feeding the flock. That's the first thing. But he goes on to say they're not only to feed the flock, but taking oversight thereof, taking oversight thereof. So we're looking out for them, we're watching out for them. So yes, we're to feed the flock of God, but we're also supposed to watch or to look out for them. Put it to you this way, we're to give them what they need, not just what they want. Because if you think about it this way, if I just feed, if all I'm doing is feed, 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 then I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, well, what do you want to eat? So, well, what do you want to eat? What do you want? Well, there's a, there's a sense in which this, this elder is being told to look out for the people, and that means you're going to have to be sensitive to what they need, listening to them, hearing, paying attention, seeing what's going on, of course, listen to the Spirit's leading, but nonetheless, giving them what they need, not just what they want. Of course, there's also the idea that you're to protect them. So there's this idea of taking oversight to watch out for them. Almost think about it as, as a shepherd, you know, the image of a shepherd. He's got a flock there he's watching out for. He's watching out for there's going to be dangers. There's going to be dangers. There's wolves that want to come in and take those sheep out. There's even dangers within. 
I, I like it how if, if, if you've got your Bible and you want to turn over there, actually I'm going to do that. Acts chapter 20. I want to show you this in Acts chapter 20. This is an interesting passage that's parallel to this. Paul here is talking in Acts 20. I'm going to look in, start in verse 27, I believe it is. Yeah, verse 27 where I want to start. Paul here is talking, um, and he says to the, these are the elders at Ephesus, the, the, the pastors at Ephesus he's talking to here, and he's given them a similar thought. He says, specific to the oversight, he says in verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you the, all the counsel of God. It starts there. It starts with this idea that there's a feeding of the flock. So that's why I start with verse 27. But then verse 28, he says, Now take heed, talking to the pastors here, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So again, just reminding them, listen, you, you got job number one is make sure they are fed the scripture. But goes on in verse 29, says, For I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. But go on to verse 30, look what he says. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. He says, listen, you need to watch out. There are going to be people outside, out in the world, that are going to try to drag people in the church down. But you also got to watch out. There are going to be people within the church that are going to try to drag the people down. In fact, some of those people might even be standing in the pulpit that are trying to drag the people down. You got to watch out for him. Got to watch out for him. His point is, you need to protect the, the flock. Going back to 1 Peter, he says there that I want you to take the oversight thereof. There's, a, there's, a, there's this idea of you've got to be able to hold people accountable, watch out for what they're doing, protect them, ward off the wolves. You're going to have to make some hard choices. You're going to have to do some hard things. You're going to have to be tough in some places. You're going to have to do that all the while you're trying to feed them. But look at how he says here, look at how he says here in the second part of verse 2. He says, you have to take their oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Why are you doing this? Because you have to? Because that's your job? Because if you don't do it, people are going to talk about you? Because that's what every other pastor does? That's, is that why you're doing it? No, no, he says, not, you're not doing this by constraint. You're not doing this out of duty. You're doing this feeding the flock taking the oversight thereof, you're doing these things out of desire. This is what you want to do. I think the next phrase gives us a, another edge on this, the same idea, but it's a little different angle. He says, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In other words, you're not doing this for the paycheck. It's not why you're doing it. And again, if we're broadening this out just beyond the pastor, let's think about all leadership roles. We ought not be doing them for the praise for the temporal rewards we ought not be doing them because yes i'm the leader man and i get paid the big bucks so therefore that's why i do it because if i didn't do this i wouldn't get paid as much so i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna do the job that i'm supposed to do no no, no that's not why you're doing it you're doing it not for the praise not for the paycheck but of a ready mind literally for the joy of the job <laughs> now now I know that y'all expect, as well you should, that your pastor ought to be doing the pastoral duties that he's doing because he likes being a pastor, because he likes what God has called him to do. I hope you have an expectation of that. If you don't, let me just tell you, you have every right to have that expectation. It's in the Bible. I just read it to you. So that should be there. 
But I also want to, again, expand this out beyond the pastoral role. I believe any leadership, if we are Christian leaders, whether we are husbands, whether we are uh, parents, whether we are um, uh, leaders on our jobs, whether we're leaders in communities, in our schools, whatever that looks like, there ought to be a Christian response to that, ought to be not doing it because it's a burden, because it's a duty, or heaven help us if it's because we get paid for it or because there's some financial or physical reward for it that is not the reason that we take on the mantle of leadership because what happens if if that's why you're doing it you're going to cut corners on what you're supposed to do here feeding the flock and watching out for them i mean if all you're doing is for is the bucks i mean even if even if the money is awesome in fact especially if the money is awesome <laughs> If that's why you're doing it, you better believe. If you can get away with not feeding as much, not encouraging them as much, not looking out for them as much, not being this bad guy as much, if you could do that, yeah, you'll do it. But Christian leaders are ones who will tend to. They will look over those. They will care for those who are in their care. But he goes on in verse 3. He says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but I want to focus on this last part here, being in samples or examples to the flock. What he's describing here, by the way, is the essence of a good coach. Some of y'all have had the benefit of having a good coach in your life. I have, I can say that for my, my benefit. My, my boys went to, my older two boys went to Cedar Ridge High School, and unfortunately, in their basketball careers did not get a good coach any at any level that said their running careers they both of them had a really good coach or several good coaches throughout the running careers I had the same thing in my my high school uh, sports I was able to have a really good coach in basketball but you've seen this what, what does a good coach do I believe a good coach models the right behaviors and right attitudes toward whatever it is. Again, we're talking about sports, but it could be applied. A coach could be a coach in any aspect of life, right? But they're modeling good attitudes and they're modeling good behaviors. You know what a good coach does? He tells you what to do and he lives that out. He's not sort of do as I say, don't do as I do. Those are bad coaches. If you ever had those people, have you ever been one of those people? I do it. I want you to do this, but I'm going to do this over here. That's not a good coach. That's not what they do. What a good coach, what a good leader, to put it in our, in our context here, what a good leader is doing is an example, an example. He is modeling for them. He is telling it and living it. He is saying, this is the way, walk in it. And in fact, you know what? Walk behind me because I'm going that way too. Let's go together. That's what a good leader does. And in fact, he goes back here in the first, go back to the first part of verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage. I think too many of us, let me put it this way, there's certain, certain ones of us who, because of our personality bent, we get a little bit of leadership in our, in our, in our uh, smell, a little bit of leadership, a little sense of leadership that we get in our hands, and we think we, got, we own the world, we're going to take over the world, and everybody's got to do what we've got to say. We are not to act as tyrants. We are not to act as dictators. Because he says there, look at what he says there in verse 3, neither as being lords over whose heritage? Your heritage? 
Is it all about your legacy and what you leave behind? No, this is God's heritage. This is God's flock. Again, he's talking to pastors, so I will say as a pastor, I have to know that my job here at this church has nothing to do with my name. It has nothing to do with my legacy. Yes, I want to. I'm as human as the next person. I want to leave a good name behind. I want all those things. But if that's what I'm doing it for, I miss the boat. This church has been here for 75 years. The majority of those years, vast majority, had nothing to do with me. And if I'm gone tomorrow, if this is God's church, it will go on and be even better for the grace of God. Uh, the reason is, is because it's not me. Who is it? It's God. It's not any, by the way, it's not you either for that matter. It's God who is the one who makes this go forward. So it's not my flock. It's God's flock. And I'll say the same thing for you as a family. If you're a mother or a father, it's not your family, it's God's family that he's entrusted to you. It's not your job, it's the job that God has put you on to work in. It's not your business, it's God's business that he has gifted to you to own and to operate. Whatever the area of life, if you're a community leader, I know from time to time we'll have one of our county commissioners has come and visited with us, and, and he's not in that position. If he is a Christian man like he says he is, and I believe he is, if he's a Christian man, that is not his job for himself. It is God's position that God has put him in to own and to operate that for God's glory. So we have to see that we are not tyrants or dictators over this. If it's God, it is God's instead. He's powerful enough to do whatever needs to be done. My job is simply to be faithful. Now, I'm trying to bring it home for you. Now, why are we doing this? I want to go back to verse 2. I'm going to feed the flock of God. I'm going to, I'm going to take the oversight. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to tend to the flock that God gives me. I'm also, as verse 3 says, I'm going to be an example to them. I'm going to live what I preach to them. I'm going to show them, but I'm also going to live it for them. Why am I doing that? Why am I living in that way? Go to verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Who are you really serving? Now, I will tell you what the Bible says you're supposed to be doing. The, sir, the one you are supposed to be serving is the chief shepherd. This elder that he's talking about the the language that he's using i think is purposeful of course we understand that the the elder is a pastor the pastor is a those are different titles for the same same position and the pastor has this has this image of being a shepherd over a flock there's a, there's all those imagery that's going on and this the shepherd is one of many shepherds and they are reporting to a chief shepherd so who is who is it that this elder is supposed to be serving the chief shepherd his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we're serving. He was the one, as we know in chapter 1 and verse 19, that had the precious blood that was shed for us. It was him. He was the one that was sacrificed. He was the one that was patient with me and with you. He was the one that even though he suffered and bled and died, he suffered agony, physical agony that I can't even imagine, he suffered spiritual agony that, thank God, and I mean thank God, I don't have to suffer because he did it. Because if I had, you know what that would have meant? I'd had to spend eternity in hell. But the Lord Jesus Christ took that for himself. 
that's who I'm supposed to be serving. But what are you really doing? Are you truly witnessing to his sufferings? Are you? Are you really looking almost as if you are, with your spiritual eyes, beholding the cross and saying, that is for me? Are you participating in his glory? Are you really saying, I am what I am by the grace of God, and one day I will be in his presence? And when I'm in his presence, just face to face with Jesus, that alone is worth it all. Is that truly the desire of your heart? Is that really what rings in your heart? And if that is the case, I, I want to just challenge you, is it? I hope the answer is yes. But if it is the case, then you know what your agenda is as a leader? Your agenda is his agenda. Your agenda is what he wants your agenda to be. You're doing what you do not out of duty, but because the Lord Jesus Christ has granted you another day to, 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 day to live, another breath to breathe, a future home in heaven, an opportunity to serve. Some of you have opportunities to, to do some amazing things because God has granted you that opportunity. And you say, well, his agenda is my agenda, so I'm not going to do this because I have to. I'm going to do this because, man, I want to. Jesus, get me, let me do this. You're not going to do it out of greed. What can I get out of this situation? What can I gather? What can I pull to myself? But you're going to do it out of joy because that is a joy to be able to serve your Lord in that way. You're not going to do it by power. I'm going to be strong enough. I'm going to be bullheaded. I'm going to make them do what I'm going to make them do. I'd tell you if I had a dime for every time I felt like that about things, I'd be a millionaire. Multi-millionaire. The fact of the matter is that's not how Christians operate. We operate the way our Savior does. Do you know how Jesus changed my life? He didn't come breaking my neck like he ought to have done. You know what he did? He loved me. He loved me and loved me some more and was patient with me a little bit more and loved me a little bit more. I mean, let me tell you how, how much Jesus loves me. Not only that he died on the cross for me, y'all know that, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. You know that, but you know how much he loved me? He loved me that even though he died for me and I name his name, I sin on a daily basis. Yet he never stops loving me. He never throws me away. That's love. I mean, tell you, if, if I had done, or rather if you had done to me a quarter of what I've done to the Lord, I wouldn't even talk to you. I wouldn't even look in your direction. I would be flat out rude to you, but the Lord loves me. So I'm going to say, I want to say to you that it is not by the power, even though God could snap his fingers and I would disintegrate into dust. It's not by power, it's by love. That's how God operates. That's scary stuff, by the way. If you're like me, that, that, that just sounds all wimpy, don't it? That sounds wimpy. Like, oh, there's going to be pushovers. That's, that's, what, that's what I fear. I, by the way, that's... If you want to know what one of my deep, dark secrets is, I, I'm afraid that everybody in the world thinks I'm just going to lay over and roll over and just do what they want me to do because I tend to have that tendency about me. It's like I'm easy to get along with, and I just, I'm afraid of that. So when I say, say what I just preached to you, that you're supposed to love people into submission to God, that just feels wimpy. I'm just being honest with you, but you know what? There's nothing more powerful because I know my God is more powerful than ever, anything in this world. 
There is nothing more powerful than his love. We're not doing this by forcing people, but instead we are going to allow God's love to permeate our lives in such a way that we're going to be examples. So why are we going to tend to those that are in our care? Why are we going to be an example to those that are in our care? Because his agenda is my agenda, and he's coming back soon. And I'm about to be called to account. And I want to stand there being able to please him and reflect his glory back to him. I want to receive that crown of glory. So how then should we lead? As a pastor, I'm going to focus on, I'm going to do the best I can to focus on preaching and teaching the word of God and living that life out. That's my job. That is job one. Now there's a whole bunch of other duties that we need practically in this time, in this era. I will try to do those things. But let me tell you, if I do nothing else but that, I'll have done something something worthwhile that's that's top of the list not forcing my ideas and i got them some of y'all have heard them you might like some of them you might not like others of them but that's not my job is to force you to believe my ideas not pushing my agenda not trying to build my kingdom parents i want to talk to you for a second what is it what is it that you're supposed to do with this what are you going to do with this you're going to focus on this is what the bible's telling us sharing and explaining god's word now, now, does that mean you don't teach them a living or don't teach them how to play ball? No, no, do all that stuff. But that's not the primary job that you've been given. You've been given children to teach them what God's Word says and how to live that life out. Not building your egos, but serving Christ. And can I add this in here? Because this is where I think some of us parents fail. Enjoying the process. Enjoying the process. At home and at work, we're going to focus on living God's Word and explaining it where you can. I know that not always you're going to get that opportunity, but you can live God's Word. You absolutely can. And by the way, any, any employer that requires you to go against the clear written Word of God in order to do your job is not an employer that a Christian ought to be submitted to. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you, you, you gotta, you gotta, you're going to be able to go out and preach on the, on the street corners during your lunch break. You may not be able to do that, I understand. But you ought to be able to live what the Bible says. Not getting angry with sinners, not being holier than thou, but being patient and loving and caring for the souls of your coworkers and those that are under you. That's how we should lead. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.